Hi, we're Visible, the wireless company with nothing to hide. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not into you. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Let's do it. Welcome back, Chiefs Kingdom, to another edition of the Out of Structure Podcast. I'm Matt Stagner here with RKJ. Unfortunately, not on a victory Monday after the Chiefs lost a heartbreaker to the Cincinnati Bengals this week. Uh, Ron, a lot to take away from this game. A lot of frustration for a lot of fans out there. Uh, how are you feeling today? Yeah, it's okay to be frustrated, guys. Uh, this was a really important win, and, and we'll get into all that, but just the fact that this was supposed to be a you know a, a win that puts you in position to get the one seed, gets you back into a, a spot where you really feel good about going through the AFC playoffs, only having to play two games before a potential Super Bowl. And now you got to play that third game, man. Um, pro- most likely, right? I mean, you're banking on – you have to bank on the Texans beating the Titans next week, which, hey, Texans are, a, a, you know, a, a scrappy team. But it's looking like right now the Chiefs just blew their chance at the one seed, and that is disappointing. I think we should all be a little frustrated about that, but it's not the end of the world. This team's still really good. Um, they just blew this game, Stags. Yeah, the final result of 34-31 to 31 on a last-second field goal um, is maybe made even more frustrating by the fact that the Chiefs were just cruising in the first half. They had a, a solid lead, you know, 28-17 uh, going into the half. Uh, could have been even more than that. Uh, this team was really in position to win this game for the majority of the game until the, the really the ball was deflated, the – whatever you want to say, their opportunities just slipped away in the second half. So let's start. Give me your top three takeaways from this game. Uh, and, and maybe we can work in some, some listener questions while we're at it. Yes. And, and my thing, man, my first takeaway, my big takeaway after watching this game, I just have to look at the defensive side of the ball and just kind of be disappointed with how, how they kind of went about, uh, defending Joe Burrow and the Bengals offense not at first right I think you saw him come out the gate and and play really well I think you saw you know you saw a sack right away Frank Clark you know gets the sack and then a sack on the second possession by Chris Jones I mean it was a great first start but my thing with Spags is he just failed to really adjust his strategy to to really fit how they could beat the Bengals and be in a better position to beat the Bengals and one of the biggest examples of that was that late third and 27 it's going to be the you know it's going to be one of those plays you just say third and 27 and everyone knows probably um, for, for a few weeks. But yeah, third and 27, you, you're the Bengals are looking to score, right? It's the last possession of the game. Spags decides to go a cover zero blitz, which I honestly, I don't know for sure if it was cover zero. Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure it was, but I, I, I didn't get a good look at whether there was maybe one deep safety. But either way, not safety help over the top of a wide receiver in Jamar Chase that had ended up with 266 receiving yards, a record for one game for a rookie. Um, but but in general, just the fact that they they blitzed on that play. Uh, Burrow, a guy that's been amazing against the blitz this year, and you knew that all he had to do, and, and Burrow's a smart enough quarterback to where all he needed to do was throw it up to Chase. Chase has been having a great game all game, and if you're not going to give him safety help, Burrow's not dumb. He, he's going to make that throw, and, and that's exactly what happened. Now, I will say, there's not many receivers that, are, you know, you're feeling great that are going to make that catch because it was still a tough catch to make. You know, Ward wasn't just completely blown by it and left him wide open. But at the same time, you just can't allow that to happen on third and 27. I know what he was trying to do. He was trying to get 
them completely out of field goal range because they were close to field goal range. He was trying to kind of go for broke and get them out of field goal range. But I think you need to play a little conservatively there, make them attempt a long field goal, and then get your offense the ball back. I really didn't like that um, decision by Spags to 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 blitz like that. Spags, what do you what did you think about that play when you first saw it? Yeah, it was a pivotal play. I mean, I think I felt like the defensive momentum was was solid at that point. Like they they've got them backed up. You know, a third and an extremely long right. It's a third and forever. A third and twenty seven. You should never anticipate there's no play in the playbook for third and 27 right you, you don't there's nothing you can call that's going to get you 30 yards on third down um realistically and so i get the idea of being aggressive and, and i think that this team is obviously predicated upon pressure um and so i see why you might want to blitz there get another sack there you know knock him out of field goal range it's a monster play right it, it changes this game but uh, as you said, you, the Bengals were uniquely situated to to take advantage of this situation with a quarterback that's good against the blitz and a receiver that can just go up and get it and, and obviously had been doing so all game. So, you know, I, I see the logic behind it, uh, but obviously um, at that point in the game, given what they were doing there, you know, you, it's, it's just a huge missed opportunity. Uh, and and something that you just don't expect to have happened, and then you know from there forward, right? The the Bengals just bleed the clock out. That that whole second half, uh, the ability for the Bengals to just stay on the field, you know, with whatever assistance they got, um, and and just running the clock out in the fourth quarter was uh, uh, was just painful to watch, and it, it takes you back to some of the bad Chiefs losses in the playoffs that we've seen uh, over the years. So I get the aggressiveness. But the downside to that or the other the other side of that coin is, as you mentioned, the Chiefs front four was getting home. Frank Clark had a sack. Chris Jones had two sacks. Melvin Ingram was in the backfield all day. They had an opportunity to get pressure without the all-out blitz. Exactly. Exactly. No, you're right. Uh, Jones got three quarterback hits outside of his two sacks. Uh, Jaron Reed and Melvin Ingram each had two quarterback hits, and then actually Clark Okafor and Dana each had a quarterback hit. So pressure was getting, and those are all defensive linemen I just named, right? And so pressure, uh, you know, especially Alex Okafor, I'll give him, him a shout-out. He had a couple nice reps where I was really impressed, and and I'm glad to see, you know, the reserve passers maybe getting into a rhythm as the as the postseason gets here. But, no, here, here's the thing, Stags, and and, and I'll, I'll answer some questions as we do this. But we mentioned Jamar Chase. <laughs> I do that sigh, man, because at some point, as as confident as you can be in your cornerbacks, as much as you can say, hey, Traverius Ward has had a great year this year, and so has Rashad Fenton, because they really have. When a player is in, in a quarterback, those two, a receiver and a quarterback, have that connection like they did, it's just kind of inexcusable to continue to allow them to continue to have that connection as strong. So, yeah, I'm answering questions like from Thomas Ramirez on Twitter. Why blitz and leave Chase one-on-one? Yes, that's that's a great question. Fan KC 58 how do you let a wide have 270 yards and decide to continually play him one-on-one? Amazing question. Should we be terrified of our inability? This is from Jason Brown on Twitter. Should we be terrified of our inability to stop an elite quarterback wide receiver duo? We have no speedy cornerbacks. Now, that's not true. I think Legereus Sneed is, is the definition of a speedy cornerback, but... Um, you're right. I, I do think this team has gotten very lucky with not having to play necessarily a, you know, a, a receiver tree or a receiver group 
fully healthy with their quarterback. We missed out on Rodgers with Adams, and then you know Dak Prescott comes into Arrowhead, but he doesn't have Amari Cooper for that game. And so you're seeing that this this kind of shows you that this cor- this cornerback group is a, is ver- very volatile, and Spags cannot trust them the entire way to just just win every matchup, right? You have to give them more help. You you can't just put them in these bad positions. That's no longer on the cornerbacks, in my opinion. That's on Spags for trusting them when they've already gotten torched all game. And I know not everything was on them. You know, the two long touchdowns of Jamar Chase earlier in the game were actually more on uh, on other guys, including uh, Dan Sorensen on that second one, which we'll talk about a little later. But, yeah, I'm, I was not cool with, with how Spagnuolo decided to um, guard Chase. Another question, why doesn't Spagnuolo make scheme changes during the game? This is from Brett Grunart. Why didn't he give Ward help covering Chase? Yeah, these are all great questions, guys. I don't have the answer to them because I would not have done that, Spags. Is, is there anything you're seeing from that where do you do you like Spags' ability to trust the corners or are you kind of thinking, you know, he kind of trusted them a little too much? Yeah, I mean, I think that's obvious at this point, right, is, is these corners, when this team is playing good football, it's complimentary football. It is good pressure up front. You've got your linebackers. uh the, the right linebackers on the field and then playing well. And then you've got the, the um, secondary able to make plays and make big plays because there's pressure up front. So, so to that end, in a game like this, they, there was something missing, right? There, there was, they weren't trusting that they would get enough pressure. Uh, so they were blitzing more and leaving these guys on the Island too much. And then just the inexplicable you know decisions to, to have, Dan Sorensen, uh, you know, on the field in certain situations or, um, you know, some of the matchups just obviously didn't make a lot of sense. What struck me about the Jamar Chase adjustment or the, the lack of adjustment in, in playing against a guy like Jamar Chase is the Bengals saw an opportunity with him and against this Chiefs defense, and they went back to him over and over and over again. And they see a weakness on the Chiefs defense. They see an opportunity. They see a guy who's hot. And they just feed him over and over again, pounding the defensive weakness into the ground. And it always seems for years and years and years, it always seems as a Chiefs fan, and that's where maybe a lot of these, the first uh, slew of questions we got, um, like from Chief Lee Bacon, why is life pain? Uh, Steve and PV, why? Derek A, why? Uh, <laughs> these types of questions. I think one of the things that makes it painful to be the, to be a Chiefs fan is the fact that other teams, championship teams, great quarterbacks seem to find a weakness in the defense and hammer it. It just just make you make you regret it until you make an adjustment. And if you never adjust, they're going to destroy you with that weakness. The Chiefs have been on the receiving end of that hammer, but they've never been on the the hammer side of that. The Chiefs' offense and to some extent, the Chiefs' defense seems to call what they call do what they do and not exploit matchups, not go after the other team's weakness and not make them regret, you know, putting, putting guys in bad positions. Uh, and, and you never see the chiefs get a hot receiver and just continually throw to that guy, throw to that guy. They're always spreading it around. They've always got, you know, sort of these scripted plays uh, drawn up the way that they do it. And so, that's that's one of the things that I think makes it really frustrating to be a Chiefs fan, especially on a day like this where the Bengals obviously saw something they could exploit in Jamar Chase and the matchups there, and they just throw it up to him over and over and over again until they stop it, and the Chiefs just frankly never did. 
Yeah, no, I think that's a great point, Stags. I do think you, Andy Reid has always just been a guy that, hey, I'm going to run my offense. I don't really care necessarily. Now, we, we've seen different game plans depending on, you know, big games, right? You know, he maybe tries to avoid certain players, but at, at the same time, most of the time, he just runs his stuff and doesn't really worry about what the defense is presenting in terms of where he can create mismatches. And I'm trying to, I know Peyton Manning was, was, would love to do this against the Chiefs. I, Stags, help me. I cannot remember what the cornerbacks, and you might not remember it either, but the cornerback's name that was opposite Marcus Peters in 2015. How about Orlando Skandrick, aren't you? No, 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 no. Before that, um, he was number 30. Oh, man. It, it was, I just remember that it was a Thursday night game. Marcus Peters had the pick six early, but then Peyton just picked on this guy over and over. Uh, and, and then actually, he gave up the game winning touchdown to Emmanuel Sanders uh, or the game yeah, time. But it, it's happened, though. It's been, it's been, right. uh, you know, was it Marcus Cooper? There yes. Was yeah. And he's another, there. he's another good example. Yeah. Dan Sorensen, obviously, this year, all season long. Uh, you know, you, there's certain players that other offenses seem to target and, and exploit on a regular basis. And you mentioned Andy Reid sometimes will seem the game plan away from another team's strength, which I think is true. But you don't see him pick a weakness and, and, and uh, on the other team and just destroy them with it the, the way other teams do. And yeah, it's Tom Brady's done it, Peyton Manning's done it, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers probably has done it. And I mean it's it's really, you know, the the top quarterbacks and and you know Joe Burrow is trying to enter that conversation now. Uh, but great quarterbacks seem to seem to find that matchup they like and and just again, if you don't stop it, we're gonna keep doing it. Yeah, it was Jamal Fleming, by the way. I just looked it up. Had to know. Um, remember that name? Yeah, he he was a uh, Peyton was getting picked picking on him pretty good, but no. I, I and and I and I want to go to your point about how great quarterbacks do this, right? They go back to their guy. They 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 they're not they don't overthink it, right? And I think that's credit to Burrow. Well, that's the thing, man. This week in press conferences, Spags compared Burrow to a young Brady. Now, are you doing that to Tom Brady? Are you blitzing Tom Brady on third and twenty-seven? Absolutely not. Um, I don't think so. At least maybe Spag, maybe, maybe Spags does. So that's the thing. Spags is just so aggressive. That's kind of his nature, but I just, I just think I, I wish they would have given Burrow a little more respect. And then also I, I thought it was funny. You saw Gerald Burrow in his postgame pref- press conference admit that at some point he was pretty much just saying F it Jamar's down there somewhere. And that's what he was doing. Right. And that's just, I think that's an indictment on how Spags was strategizing. I think for the fact that Burrow to realize, Oh, Hey, I can just throw it up. Uh, I think that's on Spags. Um, I, we, we went along on my second point. My third point was just that the offense only scored three points in the second half. Um, but, but the, we'll get more into that as we go, but Stags, I want to make sure we get to your three points. What were your three big takeaways from the game? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess on your point on the offense, I mean, I think there's, that was a part of the frustration on the flow of this game is the first half, the offense was answering. So they, they struck first, uh, they came back and, and got, a, got the big lead, but then each time the Bengals would score, it seemed like the Chiefs offense would come right back and answer, come right back and answer. And you felt like this was going to be a shootout, but it was going to be one that the Chiefs were, were right in. And then uh, something happened in the second half. They didn't get a lot of possessions, obviously. Um, uh, what was it? They only had three possessions in the second half. Yeah. And so the opportunities weren't there as much, but they also just didn't seem to answer in the same way. It was like a, a boxing match with a counterpunch. I, the Chiefs had the counterpunch in the first half, and they were the aggressor. In the second half, uh, they were sort of neither. Yeah, exactly. No, they come out first first drive of the second half after giving up that big, long 69-yard touchdown 
pass to Jamar Chase. Get into a second and nine close to midfield. Get Kelsey open past the sticks, and he drops it. And then it's third and nine, and they can't complete it, so that kills a drive. And then the next drive, they come out, actually get into Bengals territory, all the way to the 41-yard line of Cincinnati. Then a holding penalty uh, on Andrew Wiley sets them back, and they have to punt from Cincinnati territory. Like, that's just... That's just bad. And those are two of your three possessions in the second half. And then the third one ends in a field goal, but it's third and about four or five close to the red zone. Uh, Bengals show a blitz and Mahomes can't beat it. Mahomes, you know, gets kind of tricked by the blitz. He even kind of said after the game that, you know, he knew the blitz was coming, but he just didn't, he just, he just couldn't beat it. And, and that's a, that's a missed opportunity as well. As you mentioned, you know, those are missed opportunities and to only get three points out of those three possessions, it's it's this it is a little discouraging, especially when all three of them were either in Bengals territory or got very close to midfield. You know, they didn't just three and out any of them. They 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 were able to get something going at first and then just stalled and and just one touchdown on any of those drives. You know, the game's completely different, right? If they kick, mm-hmm. if they score a touchdown on that last drive instead of kick a field goal, then the Bengals have to go down and and actually you know score a touchdown, obviously, and 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 not just be able to settle for a field goal. So. Huge missed opportunity, Stags. I, I I was not encouraged yeah. by the second half of the. You're, you're you're making my first point for me is that I was I was going to talk about just the general missed opportunities in this game. And anytime you have a Chiefs loss, we always look back and say, well, what if? What if uh, you know Tyreek Hill held on to that long pass at the end of the first half? What if Travis Kelsey didn't drop that one? You know, there's there's just a number of missed opportunities for the Chiefs to make big plays. Uh, that they weren't able to do. There's also a lot of missed opportunities on the defense when it comes to tackling and wrapping up. I counted two or three sacks that they missed uh, on Joe Burrow where they just were coming up field too hot and and weren't able to wrap up and ran right by him. Um, there's, a, I think Willie Gay Jr. had a, a missed tackle for loss. Uh, there was just a handful of these plays. Uh, Nick Bolton just got completely twisted up and, and broken on Jamar Chase's <laughs> long touchdown. Yeah. You know, there there were just a, a number of plays where guys were in position to make a big play and turn this game, turn the tide, and and it didn't happen. So anytime you anytime you lose, that's that's one of the things that you're looking back on and says, oh man, there was they had so many chances to just wrap this game up, uh, literally and and figuratively, uh, when it comes to their their tackling efforts. Yeah, what happened with that man? I, they got so good at tackling over the last. You know, second half of the year, it seems like it felt like, you know, at the beginning of the season, it was the biggest topic talking point in Chiefs Kingdom. Right. You know, Sorensen was one guy that missed a lot of tackles at first. And and speaking of Sorensen, I think this is a good time to to talk about because I didn't really get too much into it, uh, you know, off the top. But, you know, Sorensen continues to play, you know, quite a bit, especially just in the dime defense. Um, and, and he was actually he was actually the main culprit of that 69 yard touchdown uh, catch by Jamar Chase and. And and one thing I just I just am I'm starting to get to this point where I'm just starting to not understand from Spag's standpoint why does he continue to use the dime package on defense? Now dime to to simplify it really is just there are six defensive backs on the field. That's what dime means. Nickel means five, right? And so dime means six. There's that extra one. And so what so Spags has always done is he takes his main linebackers off the field. He brings in Sorensen as that third safety, and then he brings in Ben Neiman as, as the dime linebacker, and it's been like that for a few years now. I'm just starting to get to the point where what's even the point of getting into your dime package if it means Dan Sorensen is going to be in deep coverage where he allows that 69-yard touchdown pass? Basically what happens on that play, 
It's cover two zone. Sorensen has a deep half of the field on Chase's side. It's a third and four or five. And so because of that, for some reason, inexplicably, Sorensen thinks it's a good idea to overreact to the, the quick out route on that side of the ball and, and, and kind of jump that. But he has the deep zone. <laughs> so when Jamar Chase runs an outside vertical route, there is no one there to tackle him when Sorensen is jumping an underneath route. Now, this is where I don't I don't get the, the whole dime defense, because if you're making the justification for Sorensen being on the field, he needs to be. It, it, it's always a high IQ thing, right? It's always, a, oh, he knows where to be. He's always he misses tackles, but he's always in the position to make tackles. Right. I think that's a lot of people like to make that point when when we talk about Dan's missed tackles. Well, he wasn't in position there and it's kind of inexcusable. It's a very basic zone coverage responsibility. It is not it is not some complex thing that and it's not just him getting outrun or, or he wasn't in a, he was in the spot, but Chase was just a better player. No, Sorensen completely abandoned his deep zone coverage and, and it resulted in a big play. And I'm just getting to the point where why not just keep your linebackers on the field, the ones that are better than Ben Neiman? And why not just keep Matthew as a deep safety instead of, you know, I know we like to have him around the line of scrimmage sometimes. I get that for sure. But if you're if it results in Sorensen being one of your deep safeties, it can't be happening much anymore. I'm, I'm getting off my soapbox, Stags. I, I I just, this defense right now is driving me a little crazy just from this game. I love Spags. I don't want to see him gone or anything. I think he's a great defensive coordinator. But this game showed you that he really just, needs to adjust more than he than he has and and this kind of stuff could cost them in the playoffs if they really don't make adjustments. Yeah, I mean to your point, it, the fact that Sorensen is the, is the extra defensive back in that package in the past has that not been a cornerback often uh where they'll bring an extra corner instead of an extra safety. So they on that play they had three safeties um along with the three corners. So would you rather see Tyron Matthew with that deep uh uh, with that deep coverage there and then an extra corner covering underneath. Yeah. So what, so yeah, technically uh, what they do, I think is, is they maybe qualify Matthew as a corner in those instances. So, you know, he's, he's the third safety, but he's the second slot cornerback besides Snead. So yeah, Matthew and Snead are technically the slot corners. And then it's Sorensen and, and uh, Thornhill as the deep safeties in that instance. Sometimes, They'll still have Sorensen as like a box safety where he's close to the line of scrimmage, so they'll they'll kind of mix it up. But basically, yes, what they could do is instead of bringing Sorensen in, they could just keep Matthew and Thornhill as the safeties and bring in an extra corner like Mike Hughes uh, to come in. So I, I'd like that strategy more for sure. And and really, the point of not even just the dime package, but but what is cover two zone? What is that designed to do? If you're on third down, you go into cover two. What it? Why would you use a cover two defense there? What is cover two designed to take away? I'm setting you up here, Ron. Yeah, you don't want you don't want deep passes to happen. You you we've heard about Mahomes going against cover two zones all year. It's because they don't want Mahomes attempting those deep passes like we saw with Jamar Chase. So yeah, that's exactly what. And, it's and specifically the deep sideline pass, right? I mean, you can cover two is sometimes vulnerable up the middle, and then there's also yeah. uh, you know there's also there's some other holes here and there, but. But uh, deep down the sideline is supposed to be uh, pretty well locked up there with the two deep safeties. Yeah, exactly. No, Sorensen, if he plays that right, he should have he should be over Chase. He should be just he should never let Chase get deeper than him. And yeah, so there's there is a hole in cover two. It's called it's called the cover two hole where you have between your cor- the cornerback in the flat and his short coverage on those on those quicker throws and the safety over the top between them. 
is where you'll see quarterbacks try to beat cover two sometimes on that sideline. And it's not a deep throw. It's more of an intermediate throw. It's a back shoulder. It's a back shoulder throw, really, what it is. And, yeah, those kind of plays, sometimes you've got to chalk it up. Hey, that's a great pass and, and, and catch because most of the time that safety is hitting the receiver as he's catching it in those instances. However, this time there is no hole. It was a cover to abyss because Sorensen completely left it open. And, and yeah, that just wasn't it wasn't a good play. It just wasn't a smart play by Sorensen. And, and like I said, it's just really starting to get to the point where why is he ever on the field? And if he is on the field, why is he in a deep coverage? That's just getting inexcusable. I go back to my philosophy. He should only be blitzing. All right. Um, other takeaways or other reasons why I think the Chiefs lost this game. A lot of it comes down to just the, the way the game ended. You know, the, the defense struggled to get off the field against the Bengals in the fourth quarter. Now, a lot of that, um, you know, was aided by some, some bad calls, uh, frankly, and some penalties that, that happened. Penalties always happen. Bad calls are going to happen as part of the game. Uh, we're not here uh, on this podcast blaming the refs for the loss explicitly, uh, but it's also impossible to deny the fact that those drives were extended um, repeatedly by some really questionable calls, and that just absolutely, you know, destroys the the Chiefs' opportunity to come back and win this one. So when you have, you know, multiple chances from the from the one yard line that are uh, they, they continuously get to replay the down and continue to take time off the clock because of penalties. At the end of the game, when the Chiefs are at that point out of timeouts, you know that's there's not much you can do there. That is a that's a really really frustrating situation to be in. But even prior to that, you know there were some calls that uh, went against uh, Legarius Sneed, for example, that were real real ticky tack type calls, and and it was it was super frustrating to see uh, again this defense making plays, getting pressure, but but not being able to get off the field uh, for one reason or the other. Uh, the, the penalties were a real issue for the Chiefs, whether it was bad calls or the team getting handsy um, you know, and sloppy. You know, I think sometimes when you have a player that's going off the way Jamar Chase did, you've got uh, cornerbacks have a tendency to say, I'm not getting beat by him again. Whatever it takes, if I have to maul him, I'll take the penalty rather than be on a highlight reel again. And so I think you saw some combination there of the Chiefs getting sloppy and the refs really, really calling some questionable stuff. And that really just drained all the life out of this uh, this, this fourth quarter. Yeah, no, I... I, I'm glad we saved the ref talk for later in the pod. I, I'm glad we didn't open with it. I really... I'm really I really don't like making it like the theme of the game for any game because it really never truly comes down to the refs, even though it seems like it does. And and we got we got a few listeners that are going through it. I um, want to shout these guys out. Steve Williams. How do we still take football seriously after watching scripted garbage like today? Yes, the Chiefs could have doubled chase or scored more points. But the fact of the matter is the refs weren't letting Casey out of there with the win. All right, let's, let's talk about this one real quick. Uh, <laughs> I, I know there's a lot of questions about the refs here, um, but this idea that somehow it was scripted or fixed or that it was, you know, the, the as, as Steve says here, the refs weren't going to let them out of there with the win. I, to me, feels a little too far. Uh, you know, I, I feel like, yeah. you know, every game there are bad calls. Some games there are more bad calls than others. Some uh, ref 
some groups of refs are, are worse than others, right? Some some crews are that have really been the bane of the Chiefs' existence in the past. But the idea that the NFL or the the refs or there was some sort of a conspiracy to me feels a little bit uh, uh, a little bit uh, tinfoil, a little bit too much of a tinfoil hat there. No offense, Steve. Uh, Steve always asks good questions. Yes. I don't mind the question, but it's just a to me, you know. I don't see any evidence that these games are fixed or, or that there is a conspiracy against the Chiefs. I just think that in this particular game, this particular crew called a bad game. And and they the Chiefs did some things that didn't help themselves. You know, when you see Rashad yeah. Fenton uh, get a penalty, celebrate the fact that he that he caused the incompletion, <laughs> and then see the flag and then slow clap at the refs for a long period of time and then proceed to do it again the next time he gets called for a penalty those types of things aren't going to help in the eyes of the refs you're not going to get favorable calls when you're kind of being a kind of being a jerk out there a little bit uh i don't mind the cockiness uh, i don't mind you know uh you know defensive backs i think need a really high level of confidence and a, and a short memory uh those are really important factors there uh, but there there is a little bit of that uh, if you want calls to go your way, there's certain ways that you can act that will encourage calls to go the other way, right? Yeah, exactly. And I and and one thing I I do, you kind of got at it there, but just it was a bad game in general. I don't think it was a one sided refereeing game. I think the Bengals got screwed a couple times as well. I I think the refs were just bad. But the thing the thing why the Chiefs might have gotten screwed a little more is the way they were playing defense. And we were just kind of talked about it over and over, but Spags continued to trust these corners one-on-one against the best receiver trio in the entire NFL. Um, you know, T. Higgins didn't have a great game, but he, he had a few good catches. It, it just happened to be Chase's big day. But I think the, the cornerback holding and defensive pass interferences, as ticky-tacky as some of them were and as bad as some of them were, at the same time, Spags continuing to put them on islands and, and put them in positions to where they might be desperately, you know, maybe – having to grab out of Jersey a little bit because these guys are overwhelming them a little bit and they know they have no safety help. I do think that could have contributed, but that doesn't, that, that, that doesn't, you know, account for the false starts that didn't get called and, and some of the other stuff, but yeah, yeah the missed false start was a big one. The, the also the, the penalty on Snead on the sideline where he was, oh, man. Uh, where he threw the guy down uh, and they called it a horse collar where it wasn't a horse collar. I could see the argument for unnecessary roughness, right? But, he was still progressing down the field at that point. He wasn't going out of bounds. And so uh, that seemed like a bad call here. So uh, let's read through a few more questions real quick before we go to break. Royals and Jayhawks, can the refs be fired for poor performance? Asking for a friend. Uh, Patrick Kaiser, uh, the last hands-to-the-face call in the end zone was weak, uh, especially after there was a no call on Tyreek previously. Uh, be consistent. Bad calls happen. Just be consistent. I, I, I don't disagree with that. Right. Let's see. Underscore Smith Gary on a scale of one to 10. Why were the refs a negative five? <laughs> um, <laughs> and then Don Smith actually has the bigger point. What about the, uh, can we talk about the bad refereeing and where the NFL keeps letting the refs control the games? I would, I would actually argue that there have been, there, there is a problem in the league in the quality of the refs. Uh, the officiating has not been good this year uh, and and for years in the past. So I, I think that they do have a problem overall 
and bad refereeing, bad officiating. Um, and, and I'm not, and I'm not sure exactly what the NFL can do about it. I know there's been some proposals on the table uh, for the owners a few times about having, you know, full-time year round positions and, and more dedicated resources and, and uh, uh, you know, more, uh, you know, qualifications for, for referees. Um, so I think that there's, there's, there is an officiating problem in the league. It's not just this game It's not biased against the chiefs per se. Um, and, and the league needs to do something about it again. You know, we're not saying that it was the reason they lost this game, um, you know, or, or again, that there's some conspiracy here, but I think the league does have a problem there. Yeah, real quick, just because I I've been participant in a in a youth football league, I've I've been pretty involved over the last few years, and hey, I know firsthand, man, refereeing just isn't something that you know people are lining up at the door to do at any level. And I do think our my generation, I'm a you know I'm a younger guy. I do think, unfortunately, I think our generation is is getting a little um, less attractive attracted to refereeing, I guess, or there's just not as many dudes wanting to do it or as many people wanting to do it anymore as I feel like they're maybe used to. And I think that does, you know, trickle down to professional leagues where, you know, these guys, there's only a select few that are even willing to go through the criticism and, and the stuff that they have to go through as, as professional sport referees and umpires. So unfortunately I think that's the main thing is just that it's kind of a, a, a dying workforce and there's only so many of them that you can even get to do the job. And it's, it's a thankless job and it's a job that, is really only going to lead to criticism. And in fact, with social media and with some of the uh, kind of extreme behavior of people, there's, there's always that risk of death threats and, and, you know, like those kind of things that, that happen. And, and where's the upside to being a ref? You're never getting kudos for being a great referee uh, <laughs> or a great umpire, or, you know, a great cruise. So, so it, it is a it's, a, it's a tough job. It's not one that I would want either. Um, and so I understand that angle of it. Uh, but you got to think that there's some, you know, development programs, some incentive programs, some, you know, uh, some sort of a uh, a path to a better officiating around the league that could happen, uh, so that so many games were not, you know, defined by uh, calls. You know, you know, whatever. Make I, they've tried making some of the calls reviewable and reversible and all of this stuff, and and uh, uh, some of that has stuck and some of that hasn't. So. Um, Tell you what, let's leave the referee talk in the first half of this uh, podcast. Now let's take a break, get to our sponsors, and then come back with more of your questions. We can uh, commiserate with our our, uh, frustration with the defense and other topics when we come back on the Out of Structure podcast. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right, $25 a month every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com. Welcome back, Chiefs Kingdom. Thanks for sticking with us on what is not a victory Monday, unfortunately, in Chiefs Kingdom. But, you know, playoffs are on the horizon, so we're still doing good. On the Out of Structure podcast here with Matt Stagner. And we're answering more of your questions here. Got some good questions from Twitter. And the first one has to do with uh, you know, a few of our favorite players in Chiefs Kingdom. 
but uh, not having the the greatest uh, game against the Bengals together. Now that's Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. Mike at Mike Johnson on Twitter, or Mick Johnson, excuse me, asks Tyreek has completely disappeared the last two weeks. He and Kelsey combined for 11 catches and 65 yards. Very inefficient, Stags. He says, discuss. What what should we discuss about uh, the, the subpar performance from those two? I think there's a lot of factors there. You've got you've got the sort of the the grind that goes on in an, in an NFL season, and you've seen the way that teams have just physically attacked, especially Kelsey, but probably both of these guys throughout the year, knowing that the Chiefs didn't have a lot behind those two. If you take those guys away, that's always been the formula. If you can take one or both of those guys away, then you've got a really good chance at slowing this offense down. So there's those factors. And then do you think that maybe, you know, Kelsey missed last week, right? So th- there could be uh, a little bit of lag. There was a lag for Hill last week and, and not uh, not feeling up to full speed after having COVID. And then and then Kelsey may be on the same track or whether he had COVID or not. He was on the COVID list. I'm going to make sure I'm not misstating that. But um, not being quite in game shape and, and being a little out of breath, out of wind uh, for those guys the last couple of weeks. But don't forget, we're not that far removed from Kelsey's, you know, career day, uh, you know, just a few weeks ago. So I don't want it to seem like it's some permanent decline or, or we shouldn't overreact to a couple of games where they weren't big performers. Yeah, no, I, my first thing when I hear that is just, first of all, we, we heard how exhausted Tyreek was in his game returning against the Steelers from, from, from COVID. Um, that's probably a similar situation as Travis, I'd have to imagine. Um, so that, that is something to consider. You also got to have to consider who the Bengals have, right? I, one guy uh, that I have always been high on from the draft process, I actually wanted him to be the Chiefs linebacker uh, in the year they drafted Willie Gay, which no complaints now. But uh, Logan Wilson, he returned from injury this game. And, yeah, he might have had a, an effect on that. Travis Kelsey's longest reception out of the five catches he had was only eight yards. I mean, he was probably getting you know covered pretty well under underneath, and, and they just couldn't get it going. But you also have to point out that Tyreek Hill had the drop right before half that we've mentioned it already. You know, that could have been a you know a huge game. That could have set up the, the chiefs to score. Probably yeah, that cool. was, what was that? 60, 60 yeah, yards? about 65 yards in the air, at least. And then Kelsey had the drop in the second half that we already mentioned too. So, you know, those two drops could have all of a sudden made the game look a little better for those two, but that's, yeah, that, that's, just that's, the nature that's a fair it. point. If you look at the statistics, I, I think there's still, uh, amongst the league's leaders and a, a dubious list of, of drop passes and uh, somebody, and I, I'd love to give credit for it, but I, I don't have it in front of me, but somebody put together the chart of the offensive production loss due to drops. And Mahomes is at the top of that list due to Kelsey and Hill uh, and drops this season. So uh, it is what it is. You hate to criticize some of the Chiefs best players, but those guys uh, and their drops have, have certainly cost the team, not just this week, but but all season long. Well, how about this stat from Pro Football Reference? I just happened to be able to pull it up real quick. According to them, Kelsey has a uh, has a well, this is okay. They've only been tracking this in 2018, so when Mahomes became the starter. Kelsey has a career high from 2018, 10 drops, which is also 7.8% of his targets are, are being dropped. His next highest in that four-year span is 5.9%. So almost 2% more of his targets are being dropped this year. 
Um, so this is Kelsey only. I didn't look at Hill, but yeah, I think that just shows you that, you know, they're and Kelsey's always had a, had these inconsistent hands. It felt like it got better in recent years, but that's just kind of the nature of, of his play. You know, it's kind of part of his game, but half the time you don't think about it because he's scoring a bunch of touchdowns and putting up a bunch of yards. Yep. And then those complimentary players that kind of feeds into Jake Wilson's question that Jake for now, uh, perennial question answer or question asker. We appreciate Jake. Uh, are some Chiefs players like Sorensen, Neiman, Hardman, Robinson, are they good in limited roles but qu- quickly become liabilities when asked to do too much? Um, it's a, a very obviously a, a yes answer on this one. And I think we talked about it in terms of Sorensen earlier and in terms of Neiman uh, all season long with those guys on the defensive side. But I think it, it bears you know some conversation about the offensive role players. When those guys are good – um, like last week when Kelsey was out, you had a great game from Byron Pringle. You had good games from other, you know, uh, role players. You had, um, McCole Hardman being one of those that doesn't get a lot of targets anymore is not getting the real wide receiver or two type route tree. Um, but when McCole has a day, like even what he had this week, uh, he makes one big play on offense and, and had a big return, uh, or two on special teams. Uh, those are role players that are contributing in their roles. But if you ask, it, it may be too much to ask for some of these guys to be consistent starting type performers. We Again, it's very clear that that's true about Sorensen. Uh, it's true that it, it, it's very clear that it's true about Neiman. Um, Byron Pringle is the one exception that we hope has started to turn that corner from part-time role player and special teams guy to full-time wide receiver too. And even though he was a little bit out snapped by Robinson this week, uh, Pringle still had decent production. I think he was second or third on the team in receptions and yards. Uh, and so Pringle is, seems to be establishing himself as more of a full-time player. The rest of those guys, very much role players, very much valuable as role players, but not as starters. And they'll get exposed as such uh, when the, when that comes up. So when you talk about uh, Hill, and Kelsey struggling and getting beat up. You need your role players to come through in those times. And the Chiefs' role players have been good at times and really bad at other times, and that consistency just has not been there. Yeah, you're right, man. We've talked about McColl all year, and something I said that he's only getting you know targets on jet sweeps and reverses and quick screens. Well, hey, it was really good to see him. It was a really great route, man. He, he runs a corner route, a deep corner route, gets through the fights through the the physical coverage of the slot cornerback and 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 creates great separation on that third and 10 where he gets a 53 yard gain great throw by Mahomes too but it's his only target and it's only catch of the game i mean that kind of shows you exactly what we're talking about in terms of inconsistency even within the game i mean that's a great play but why aren't we seeing any more of those kind of plays except for just one time every you know two months i mean it cuz we saw that a good play like that against washington earlier this year right but then that was the last time we saw that kind of play. So, yeah. Well, yeah. Rookie year, McColl, when, when he first came out, that's what he was. He was one big play per game, right? Yep. He'd get loose deep, uh, have a huge play. He scored a number of touchdowns that season. And, you know, we all thought, well, the development will come. He'll be more of a full-time player in the future. Uh, that didn't really happen. And, and so now we're back to hoping that he gets that one big play every week. Uh, if he does – then that is what we should expect from him. And we should not be looking for him to have a 10 catch hundred hundred yard performance. 
he's going to get one or two catches. If he makes a big play out of those, that's his job. But you need more from Byron Pringle if mm-hmm. Hill and Kelsey are either out or ineffective. Uh, you need more from your running game if those guys are out and the receiver, the, the running backs as receivers. And I think the Chiefs are starting to show that they can run the ball at will. They can run with power and they've got depth at running back with Clyde out. How about the performance by Daryl Williams this week? Oh my gosh, dude. I'm, I'm, I, I this is almost a bad word on this podcast stags or, you know, a, a you know, a, a phrase of bad words, but I, I am really starting to maybe prefer Daryl as the primary back. I didn't think I would ever get here. <laughs> I do not think I would ever get here. But Daryl, to me, has really improved this season. It just seems like game by game, he's getting more wiggle. He's looking a little more just like he can he can make a guy miss in space real quick instead of just being a bruiser. And I made this comparison on Twitter during the game. I think he's starting to look a lot like Spencer Ware to me. And I know Spencer Ware is not this like super impressive running back from, you know, the Chiefs have had incredible running back history. And Spencer Ware is not one of them. But at one point, Andy Reid did trust Spencer Ware to be the number this team's number one back for an entire season, 2016. Now, obviously, he he wasn't the start of the entire season, but going into that year, Spencer Ware was the guy. And I do think Daryl's playing a Spencer Ware kind of role where he is a reliable pass catcher all of a sudden. I didn't think that before the year. I didn't think Daryl should be considered a reliable receiver, but he is. He looks like a more reliable receiver than any other any of the other running backs on the team. And now he's just He's just looking way, so much quicker and just change, better change of direction as a running back. I don't know, man. I it just I, I'm starting to like what I'm seeing from Daryl and Clyde. Just continues. I know he's been hurt and he continues to not get into a rhythm because of those injuries. But I'm still I I, I still just think overall right now Daryl just it might be a time to maybe think Daryl's the primary guy and Clyde is more the complimentary guy. I did not think I'd get here, Stags, but. Uh, I'm- I'm, I'm not here. there, as as you well know. I'm a big Clyde guy, but I, what I will admit, and I think most people understand, is that running backs, to some extent, are uh, fungible. They're interchangeable. They're they're the types of players that you can plug and play if you've got the right offensive line. And I think this Chiefs team now has three running backs that are capable in the passing game and in the running game. Uh, and it could be because Derek Gore is getting it done too. I mean, he didn't have a, as many opportunities this week, uh, but that guy has had a great season as well. Daryl, as you mentioned, Daryl's about to cross over a thousand yards uh, total for this season. He had two touchdowns this week. Uh, you're right. He's, he's running people over and he, he's making people miss at times, which is something that we didn't see a lot from him in the past. So I, I will say, I won't say that I prefer any of those guys to Clyde, but I will say the more Clyde's out and the more we see from those other two, the more interchangeable they feel. Yeah. It, no, I think you're right. I think they've always been pretty interchangeable. Um, I just never thought I'd get to this point where it really, I'm really starting to feel like I, I would rather see Daryl get, you know, 20 carries and, and Clyde be the guy that gets just, you know, a little bit complimentary work in the past game and, and a few, you know, design carries. That's the thing. I mean, it just doesn't seem like they're putting Clyde in great positions. And, and so maybe, maybe that's what it is. If they used him better in the past game, I think that would work out great. I think, yeah, you use him more as a good receiver, but you know, all that to say, I, I just, I, I think this, this running back room, especially Clyde has just failed to get in a rhythm a little bit just because of the injuries. And, and I do think if Clyde was healthy all year, maybe I don't think this, but 
Daryl continues to take advantage of his opportunities. And one thing I'm, you know, probably bad on us. We haven't mentioned yet, but they did, did all that, you know, Daryl Williams, Derek Gore combined for 7.4 yards per carry on 17 carries uh, against a really good Bengals run defense. One of the better ones in the league statistically while having a banged up offensive line. So all of a sudden before the game, Orlando Brown has a calf issue in, in pregame warmups apparently. And he doesn't play. He's questionable, actually. So he could have still played maybe, but ends up not playing. And then second drive of the game, Lucas Niang, who fills in at left tackle, goes down with a, an injury, which actually we've now learned is a, is a season-ending injury, unfortunately. Really sad for Niang, a guy that had to miss his rookie year for, for the COVID opt-out. But So, yeah, so this this running back group did that with an, a banged-up offensive line. And this actually leads us into to the second half of uh, Jake Wilson's question. Does Joe Tooney's performance at left tackle on Sunday have any effect on the Chiefs' future contract negotiations with Orlando Brown? Because Tooney was the one who had to slide out, slide out to left tackle, and Nick Allegretti came in at left guard. And man, Tooney looked great. How, how'd you? Uh, what'd you see from Tooney on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, before I get to that, uh, Austin Jones had a similar question at Generic Library for based on Tooney's performance. What about letting Brown walk and taking that com- compensatory pick? Him playing uh, Tooney at tackle. Uh, using the cap space to get another uh, legitimate uh, cornerback. So I, I don't want to overreact and say that this affects Brown's status. I think Joe Tooney is still your left guard, uh, but but he did play phenomenally well at tackle. We had always been told in the past that he could play tackle if he, if he needed to, but you don't expect a guard to slide out to tackle in the middle of a game and look as competent and as comfortable as Joe Tooney did at left tackle. I mean, he was, uh, you know, I saw a couple of people on Twitter say he was the best ta- left tackle on the chiefs. Uh, I'll still put him in the second best category uh, because Orlando Brown's playing some really good football. Uh, assuming his injury is as minor as they're saying it is. And he's back on the field this week. That's your guy, but man, what great value to have Tooney on this roster. A lot of people questioned why you would want to pay a left guard as much as they paid Joe Tooney. I think you're seeing, one of the reasons why is he's been stellar at guard and he was stellar at tackle for this week. Uh, but I don't want to take it any further than that. Yeah. You heard people complain maybe that, Hey, you're paying a left guard, left tackle money, maybe. Well, if he can play left tackle, then he's, he's absolutely worth it. Now, one thing I couldn't help but notice in this matchup is he got a little, um, I don't want to say lucky, but just the matchup really did him a favor in terms of, Trey Hendrickson is one of the best pass rushers in the league this year, 14 sacks. Don't get me wrong, but he's not the lengthiest guy. He's not the you know tallest guy. He doesn't have the biggest frame. And I think that did help Joe Tooney deal with Hendrickson. You know, Joe Tooney is just such a good offensive lineman. I wasn't worried about uh, you know, him necessarily, you know, getting embarrassed out there at left tackle, but I do think if he's playing maybe a a, a, a different kind of edge, you know, a guy maybe with a little more length, a little more power. He, he maybe would have had a little more trouble because I do think he, he, Tooney doesn't have the same length and, and anchor as a, as a usual tackle does. But yeah. all that to say, had a great performance. Henderson didn't get a sack. Tooney should definitely get some shout-out. And before I, I throw it back to you, I do think there's something to maybe the fact that if if Tooney's willing to be that left tackle and, and, and the Chiefs, Chiefs want to commit to doing that, I think it might actually be a great – way to save some money and a great way to you know have money for other parts of your game of your of your team guard can be a lot easily replaced by a guy that's a lower investment or a later draft pick or just a a younger guy and left tackle is obviously someone you want that you can really trust out there you don't want to just throw anyone out there so 
if there are any worries about Brown by the Chiefs organization, this could be a nice solution for them. But I'm with you. I'm not there. I want to get through the whole season before I'm willing to, you know, have a have a opinion on whether Brown should resign or not. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not buying that at, at whatsoever. I mean, I think it's a it's a, it's a great to have a versatile guard that can fill in, and 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 that's that's what it is. Um, but you're right. If it was Miles Garrett out there, you know, this week, then we may be having a different conversation. So, um, and and with that in mind, no, I don't see him as a future left tackle um, in, in, with those limitations. But let's move on to Jared uh, Pontius. Uh, one, I'm sure I'm butchering that. Uh, what's your take at the end of the first half? So Gore gets tackled with two seconds left. Why not take a timeout and throw a deep shot? Who knows? Defense and pass interference may may happen, which gives a free play of a field goal attempt. This sounds like uh, we're all hoping that the Chiefs will do to other teams what other teams do to the Chiefs and and take those deep shots, uh, get the penalty. Uh, you know, maybe that little bit of aggression that it feels like desperation from other teams when they play against the Chiefs. Sometimes you want to see the Chiefs have that desperation themselves, right? Yeah, but the thing is with this is the play before what he's referring to is is Mahomes did attempt that pass, right? And Hill had it go through his hands. And I know it was a kind of a tough catch that downfield and there was a guy near him, but I think the Chiefs did kind of try that. It didn't work and and then they said, "Yeah, let's let's just go into the half. We don't want anything crazy to happen." So, I, I think they did try that. Um, but you're right, yeah. you know, maybe they give it another shot. Why not, right? One of the, the same thing would have happened at the end of the game, right? If you run back the what if scenarios here, and the Chiefs get the two fourth down stops, and 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 uh, they don't get a penalty in the end zone, then all of a sudden the Chiefs have the ball on the on the one yard line with no timeouts and and under a minute left. Then do you think the Chiefs would have uh, just started chucking the ball downfield, trying to score and and win the game, or would they have taken a knee and gone to overtime? Uh, I, I think we got our answer on that. Yeah, in the press conferences, if you listen, Patrick Mahomes, you know, he said, you know, if they would have got the stop, we would have went to overtime, you know, probably just off the top of his head. Maybe he didn't realize how much time was left or anything. But I think that shows you that the offense had the mindset that if that defense was getting the stop, we're probably just sitting on the ball, going to overtime and taking our chances there. Well, another good question here. Um, and will this loss, this is from Dan Marino Gretzky, Sawtell at Nolan don't care on Twitter. Uh, would this loss have any consequences for the Chiefs in the future other than losing the bye? So it's hard to tell, you know, what the long-term ramifications of this can be. Uh, if you think through some of the things that could change, uh, Lucas Niang's injury is going to be, like you said, a season ender. It's going to be one that uh, may require surgery. Patella tendons are extremely painful injury. Uh, and so, You'd assume that he's going to be ready to go by training camp, but you want him at full strength and being your starting right tackle next year. Uh, hopefully this doesn't derail that part of his career. Anything else that you can think of, Ron? Yeah, I think we're DMing about it a little bit in terms of how the Chiefs, you sent me this tweet, the Chiefs are 1-4 and four against you know the AFC contenders pretty much. I, I don't know the exact wording of that but off the top of my head, but... Yeah, the the teams that are that have won their divisions, the Chiefs are are one and four, and they've also lost to every. Uh, and maybe I'm getting this backwards. Maybe they're one and four against the playoff teams, and they've lost they've lost to every division winner. That this sounds season. right. So, uh, on both of those fronts, when the Chiefs have faced top tier talent this year, they've generally lost. 
And, and so, you know, yeah. I think that that is a not a great omen for the playoff run. See, I think this could go both ways because I agree with you. I think at first it might it, it could be a, a, a confidence downer, right? Or, or a, you know, a negative kind of uh, thought process for the cheap for the players like, oh, sh- you know, why can't we beat good teams? Why are we not beating the best teams we're playing? However, I, I want to turn it around and say. Now the Chiefs are the revenge factor in pretty much every single AFC playoff rematch. Um, I know, I know the revenge factor is more of a an intangible and something you can't really count on anyway. But I've always kind of, you know, you you beat a team in in the regular season, you always kind of worry that they have the 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 motivation edge in the in the next time you see them because you know they have the revenge factor. I do think the Chiefs now have that in pretty much every single scenario in the playoffs you can imagine. Uh, which is kind of funny, except if they play the Raiders somehow. <laughs> to me, more so than the revenge factor is it's always been, and maybe this is a cliche, but it's always been difficult to beat a team twice in the same season. Yes. That's why division games are so so close and challenging, why it's so remarkable, the dominance that the Chiefs have had over the AFC West over the last few years in the Andy Reid era. But it's not easy to beat the same team over and over again in the same season. So if the Chiefs do face one of these other teams, and they will in the playoffs likely face one of these teams that they've already played this season and maybe lost to. Uh, you know, there may be something to that the the fact that they had they got the Chiefs once, uh, but they can learn from that loss and 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 uh, come right back and and get them uh, in the playoffs when it counts. Yeah. No, I, I, I think I like the revenge factor because if you look at all these losses, right? None of them have been like they've just gotten completely destroyed. But well. I, I take that back. Bills and Titans game weren't very good, but most of these games have been pretty close and, and, and other things have kind of screwed the chiefs, but hey, one last fun question. Yeah. Uh, I was going to end on that. Let's do it. <laughs> Chinese buffet at Chinese buffet three. So the experts were right on burrow after all, he's as good as Mahomes and more. Uh, I'm going to leave that as an open-ended question for Rahan. Go ahead. Oh my gosh, guys! No, I I, I think Burrow's really good. I'm I'm impressed with Burrow. I do think I've I've I called him a top five quarterback at this point already. I think Herbert and Allen have better physical traits, but I think Burrow has an intangible that's hard to to describe. And and you you're seeing why you know how good he is with those intangibles. But come on, guys! It's still Patrick Mahomes. You know, just because Burrow threw for more yards and touchdowns in the game doesn't mean Burrow's the better quarterback. I think for a lot of the game, Mahomes was actually playing much better. Um, Burrow just just had plays go his, you know, he had guys turn quick passes into 70-yard touchdowns twice for him. So Burrow's really good, but come on, guys. It's still Patrick Mahomes. I'm taking him over anybody in the league. Absolutely. Give give Burrow credit. You know, he, he's been on a roll. And sometimes – uh, thinking about ways to explain this loss as I process it in my head. Sometimes you run into a buzzsaw and this Bengals team and this Bengals offense have been playing absolutely lights out. Yeah. Joe Burrow has been uh, on a historic run over the last few weeks. And so, you know, hats off to them. Uh, I thought this was, a, again, I thought this was going to be a shootout and a game that the chiefs would be in till the end. But uh, you know, ultimately, Ultimately, when you're in a shootout with another great quarterback, a lot of times it comes down to who has the ball last. And the Bengals from the midway through the fourth quarter decided that they were going to have the ball last. And and that was it. So uh, don't take it as an indictment on Patrick Mahomes. Don't, it's not saying that Joe Burrow is the better quarterback. It's just that on this day, the Chiefs hit that buzzsaw. Um, 
and Burrow had the ball in his hands at the end of the game and not Patrick Mahomes. And that's the difference. You know, it's the refs, it's the defense, it's all of this stuff. But when it comes down to it, Joe Burrow played a great game and he had the ball at the end. You know, what are you going to do? Yeah, real quick. I think it's just a good example of, you know, where a team can be at in terms of where, you know, where they're building towards. The Chiefs have already won their Super Bowl, right? It's hard to it's hard to replicate that same hunger on the way to it. The Bengals are in that zone where they're on their way to that greatness. I think there's a different level of hunger. And, and that might have been the thing that played out on Sunday. Yeah, our guy, the show on BK and the show, they had made that point that the Bengals were coming into this game. They needed it more. They wanted it more. They were going to be on an emotional high, and the Chiefs were going to have to match that. I think I don't think the Chiefs did a bad job of matching that, at least uh, early on in this football game. Uh, but in the end, you know, the young, hungry team uh, won this time around. Now, will that be the same thing if they meet again in the playoffs? Uh, I think you can make a pretty good argument that the Chiefs are the better team overall and that every week is not going to play out like this one. And when it comes down to it, like you said, put your money on Patrick Mahomes and this Chiefs football team and put your ears on the Chiefs podcast on the Airhead Pride Podcast Network. We appreciate you all listening with us. Uh, download, rate, review, check out all of the podcasts on the network. A lot of great, great, great ones out there. And our, our numbers have been phenomenal. We really, really appreciate your support and your listening and your downloads. It does mean a lot. We do notice. We appreciate your questions. So definitely uh, tune in to all the podcasts this week. We'll be back next week and looking forward to talking with you again. Thank you. Thank you for spending time with us. Happy New Year to everybody. And we'll talk to you again next week on a hopefully a Victory Monday on the Out of Structure Podcast. Ron Kopp Jr., this is Matt Stagner. Thanks again. Hi, we're Visible. We're the wireless company with nothing to hide. Seriously. Hidden fees? We don't have them. Annual contracts? Not our thing. Great wireless on just one line? Now that's more like it. Get unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month. Taxes and fees included. That's right. $25 a month? Every month. Sorry, hidden fees. We're just not that into you. Sometimes the choice is just Visible. Switch today at Visible.com. Rate with service on the Visible plan. For additional terms and network management practices, see Visible.com.